Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Joshua Jackson. At this podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. If you're in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to www.leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Each week on this program, I'm joined by a different leadership figure from the world of business, education, politics, sports, or even from local communities in the aim of truly discovering who those people are who get up every morning and make this country work. We get their take on the current economic and political landscape of the UK and discuss everything from digital strategies to supply chain headaches. Um, And of course, the success and the innovation that what makes it all worthwhile in the end. On today's program, I'm delighted to be joined by Marcus Miller, who's the founder and digital strategist at Bowler Hats, a digital marketing agency specializing in marketing strategies, SEO, and content. Um, Without further ado, do uh marcus hello hey hello good morning <laughs> pleasure to to have you on the uh, on the show today um you know i know it's been a an interesting time over the last sort of 18 months and you know especially for people within your your industry having to adapt to some of not only the business running challenges but also the messaging as well um how has everything been um Tricky, I guess, in, in, in a nutshell. I mean, obviously we're obviously we're a business ourselves, but we work with many other different types of businesses. So we're not only it's not only our, how it how it impacts us personally as a business, but we've seen you know firsthand how it impacts all of our customers in, in, in different industries. So obviously some 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 people have been worse hit than others. So we, for instance, we had a bunch of you know, like restaurants and bars and people that we, that we kind of worked with, obviously they were just almost forced to, to close, so couldn't trade at all. Um, we had companies like event companies, again, where all large-scale events were kind of shut down. So, you know, some, some of those kind of businesses could, you know, they could pivot a little bit and introduce new kind of virtual products. So, I mean, you know, I guess it was kind of tough. In the, initially, we lost probably about two thirds of our of our customers within you know a couple of Absolutely. weeks. So it was, it was, yeah, so it was, it was it was that was that was pretty scary. But what 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 happened after that kind of initial kind of impact is that you know the majority of them started to come back on in some form or another. You know they could. People we work we work with a company that does artificial grass and they found they could still trade and we work with companies that you know have kitchen showrooms and they found they could still trade and everything you know there was this kind of real kind of um, fairly painful couple of months where people were starting to move things more online and we were you know we were right in the thick of it ultimately helping people kind of pivot and you know find new ways to kind of carry on running the business, their businesses as, as it became apparent that, you know, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't going to be a couple of weeks uh, sort of problem. And it's, um, yeah, so, 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 so it was, it was interesting. Uh, you know, I think, 
I think yeah, that's always definitely. the best way of putting it, isn't it? It, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the classic saying, may you live through interesting times, the general curse of old. But um, so I can imagine it would have been quite difficult for you as well, as you say, as the business business leader, business owner, um, having to sort of remain calm whilst other people were, you know, sort of losing their heads and having to support them through their their trials and tribulations, but also making sure that you were getting the work that you needed to be able to support your own staff. Um, how did you cope with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a little scary to begin with, but but because you know, ultimately, we're a digital agency. We help businesses promote themselves online, and what what you know, as time went on, everything was becoming more digital. So, 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 in terms of kind of work coming in for us, we you know things started to scale back up. Now, the big problem was that that the majority of our customers had lost the majority of their revenue. Then they needed to implement big changes, and they didn't necessarily have the money to do it. So, so you know. We were helping some people in a kind of, you know, smaller customers on a kind of pro bono. I mean, I guess we went into this in a fairly good place, you know, so we took the big bounce back loan, we took, you know, any of the kind of help that we could and we just, you know, we just kind of grounded out and, and you know, over a period of time, it kind of, you know, it, 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 it normalized itself. But there was definitely, there was definitely a, a good six month period that we were, you know, working twice as hard for, for half the money. So, you know, it, it was a little tense, but we, we had some backup. Um, Absolutely. You know, we had a fairly good period up to there. So, so you know, it was... Uh, yeah. And, and, it, it, you, you know, from, from my side as well, it's absolutely fantastic to hear that, you know, you took on a bit of work on that pro bono basis. You helped people get through their difficulty because it is all about maintaining those relationships with, with your partners, with your clients, with the, the organizations that you work with. And I know some organizations would, would drop people that can't pay, you know, at the, on a dime. Um, so that is absolutely yeah. great to hear that, that, that you maintain those. And I'm sure that will, will bear fruit, you know, moving forwards as well. Yeah, I mean, and there's, and there's some, you know, there's, as time went on, there's some pretty interesting successes there, and you know, and that I think will continue to be a success to us and some of our partners down the road. I mean, a good example. So, okay, so we work with an events company that was primarily outdoor events, so they couldn't large scale outdoor events. They couldn't operate anymore. So what they realised was they needed a virtual product that would, you know, and then as as you know, lockdown went on and people became more isolated from their family or workers or whatever it was, then then you know, this company started to do really, really well, actually better than they were doing with their original products, with their virtual products. Now, now that's obviously demand for these kind of virtual kind of team building products is, is, is diminishing a little now as things are opening back up. However, you know, this has opened them up to being able to run events for, you know, businesses that may have um, offices in different countries or different cities or, you know, it's basically it's another product that they've got. So although there's been this kind of period of, of difficulty, you know, by being sort of smart, they, they, they're going to come out of it in a, in a, you know, stronger than they were when they went into this. So, it's um, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Those that are kind of, you know, have adapted, you know, many of them are, in, are probably in a better place and have, you know, additional arms to, to the business now. 
Of course, it's, you know, the technological leaps over the past 12 months and also people's familiarity with now what is what is possible. Obviously, the, the changes from work from home, hybrid working, working with partners across the world. Um, it really has, as you say, just allow people to add extra strings to their bow and hopefully be able to provide a more, um, you know, sort of supportive work environment moving forwards, really, both for, for sort of clients and um and employees for- yeah i mean so, so if we had a, a, a like a hr right, sort of an external hr lady come in yesterday and we're looking at how we can how we can restructure the business what what can we do what level of homeworking can we support going forward you know how can we be more flexible so again we're trying to you know by throwing force to do things and realizing it's probably not as bad problematic as we, you know, we probably would have never moved to an entirely working at home model. However, having had to do that, again, you know, there's new opportunities for us and how we work. So we're at the moment, we're just going through a process to see what we can, what we can retain there over, you know, that thing's going to go back to normal. It's good to hear as well. You know, it's it, a lot of this time has been personal leadership and, and leadership development from, from business leaders having to assess what is possible, but draw themselves in, not panic and support their staff during what is, you know, been a very uncertain time. Um, how did your sort of leadership style develop during this period? Do you find that um, a lot more of it w- was outreach to staff, making sure that there was still that company ethos going on? Or was it, um, you know, more that you needed to take on a bit more of the work to, to be that sort of figurehead and, and lead from the front? Ah. A little bit of both. Um you know, we have a daily standard as many kind of businesses in, you know, tech or whatever they do at half nine. So when we were working from home, we'd still have these daily kind of calls and, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd still constantly be kind of, you know, calling each other and dealing, you know. But fortunately, we're a digital business. So I think that the pain there for us, you know, it probably wasn't as painful as it was for, for many other kind of industries. We didn't, you know, the only major difference was that we wasn't in, you know, all in the same room. So, I mean, Definitely from the strategic strategy, kind of client, client strategy perspective, because this was, you know, if we take on a business that we've worked with that type of business before, generally we know what works for that, that company and we've, we've got, you know, we know how to help them. But this was just completely uncharted territory. You know, everything was new. So it was, you know, and, and a lot of the companies that we were helping to kind of pivot or change or, or adapt, you know, they were, they were again, unproven products. So, so there was, I did take on a lot of additional work. Um, I did kind of get right in it, into the, you know, the trenches with, with the, the, the strategic side of things with, with the majority of our customers. And it, I did kind of have to, you know, try and keep everyone kind of motivated a little bit and stay, stay in touch with everyone because it was, you know, obviously as well, the, the ripple effect here is that, that people have other things going on in their lives as well. You know, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, it, it, Absolutely. The external factors around this have been very pressing, haven't they? You know, families and and just that general level of worry. So, you know, the fact that you've been there and and, and been a support during this time must be truly appreciated. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think we're a pretty tight team anyway, you know, so I think, you know, I think if anything, it was, you know, it was... Yeah, we kept we kept it together really, um, just through these kind of digital calls and everything else. So, so you know, I, and that's not to say at certain points I didn't feel like I was completely losing control or losing my mind, or you know, because it's because I don't know. Absolutely, the, it's the, the pressure's still there. It's just oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you suddenly not being together. I mean, there's 
the mechanical or procedural elements of what we do can really be done when people are in different places. That's our problem. Mm-hmm. But what I think is lost sometimes is the more creative spark. You know, we can do a meeting over Zoom and discuss something we may need to, you know, some an ad campaign or something for a customer. But often when you, when you have that meeting in the office, it's, it's when the meeting's finished and it's 15 minutes later, someone will say, suddenly, I know what we can do. And it's the conversations that start more organically like that that, that, that were lost. It's not to say that, of course. that you know, it's... it's so certainly on the creative front, I think there's there's, there's an impact. But um, yeah, we 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 And especially with how you work as well in the creative industries, you need to have those nonverbal cues with clients. You need to have those nonverbal, um, you know, feelings amongst the staff as well. You know when somebody doesn't like your idea, and that is the the limit of, I suppose, the the Zoom platform as it stands. Only one person can speak at a time, or or um, you know, you can't quite get that that feeling in the room. So it is going to be great to be able to get back and, and do things in a more traditional manner. But um, at least there is an alternative. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it allowed us, you know, to kind of t- to push on, you know. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, game over. So, so you know, like I say, it's, it's, I'm looking forward to having everyone back. Well, in the office, but also, and we've got people coming in now that, to some degree. But you know, also to figure out, well, well, what elements of this can we retain to help with like work-life balance and and you know, and just yeah, I, I, what, what lessons can we learn from the last sort of eighteen months? Absolutely. That's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Learning those lessons, making sure that there are there are new platforms and new ways of working and, and supporting everybody. And uh, do you see that there's going to be a, a huge business change for you over the next 12 months? Do you think that things are going to get completely back to normal just in that hybrid manner? Or do you think that um, there is still going to be a bit of hesitancy, um, you know, especially as the economy recovers? Mm. There's, there's certainly... <laughs> That's a question we almost two. I have to look at it from two layers, almost. You know, to certainly for us, we, we I think we'll be okay because because everything has become more digital rather than less. So I don't think that we'll struggle specifically. However, some of our customers, like okay, to go back to the, the event sky, I think I think there's still a lot of hesitancy with regards to big outdoor events, and 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 I think that hesitancy comes from the businesses. But also from the, the the people within the businesses who are probably thinking, well, I have to be a little bit more careful still, or you know. So, so certainly, I think there is still. I don't think things will, you know. I, I'm tired of the phrase the new normal, but but I do Absolutely. think that there will continue to be some some impact over the, you know, over the coming kind of months, but particularly over winter. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, always difficult over the winter, especially when you know if some of your clients are the the restaurateurs and uh, and the events, um, you know, organisation. I think you're right. It might just be a little bit more difficult. But as long as you yourself are, are confident in the position that your company is in, that you're um, in the staff and and your ability to get through this, I think that's a good place I mean, to we, be. We're confident. Yeah, we're we're confident. We're looking for a couple of new people. We're we're figuring out how to um, some of our kind of growth plans. We, we are looking at more kind of, you know, almost kind of outsourcing little elements of the business as well so we can kind of scale up and scale down a little bit more dynamically. You know, don't, you know we don't want to take on suddenly a bunch of new people and then there is some other kind of certain ways. So but, but that's made us rethink our own growth plans and I think, again, to come out with better ideas, you know, the challenge has, has, has you know, kind of strengthened us. Absolutely. Our own internal strategy for the business. 
and obviously the, the gig economy was being spoken about before um, all of this kicked off and it just seems to have accelerated that you know, ability for people to bring in specialists for, for smaller jobs and to have, again, that, that good quality work-life balance for those that want to um, be a little yep. bit more freelance and especially for traditional business owners to be able to take advantage of that. So it seems like you've you've got your heads um, on the right, the right sort of path and you're going to take advantage of everything that is now available moving forward, which again, is a great place to be and a great mindset as a, as a business leader. <laughs> We try. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, we've, we've always had that kind of, um, that, 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 that ethos within the business. We don't do overtime or we don't, you know, we have a short day and we have very generous holidays and, you know, we're pretty flexible. So we've always had that, that, that was always kind of there. So it's, again, that probably saw us in, you know, good stead for, for everything that happened. And if anything, we've come out of this thinking, well, we want, you know, we want more of that. We want to make it, you know, and, and that will help us retain, Get the right people to work here and retain the right people, and you know it's, 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 it all depends on your perspective, doesn't it? It's, 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 I think you know there's opportunities everywhere. Well, Marcus, that, I think that's an absolute fantastic um, you know conversation. We've just had a great notes uh, to finish on that you are positive moving forwards, and that that there uh, you've always had that adaptable mindset so i'd like to really thank you for for coming on today and um uh, i wish you and, and bol had all the best for the next 12 Pleasure. months Thanks. and hopefully Thanks. we can have you on again in a few months as well once things really are back um and Very you've much. got some more concrete plans going forward sounds good Cheers, thank you Cheers. take care and next up on the show, we'll be joined by Leaders' Council Chairman, Lord David Blunkett. He will be giving his take on the political and economic landscape of the last 18 months and what the UK can be doing to look ahead. He'll be interviewed by Matthew O'Neill. Lord Blunkett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. Um, well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, uh, which uh, we must touch on. Um, what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going? Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all, all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who, who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world and being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? 
Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative. They're having to adjust and innovate. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to, but we'll probably have a burst of productivity, mm-hmm. which will help with the recovery, whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and product productivity and, and the production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both Uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help, which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who Mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what they're delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, will be able to see that there's a, a, a good outcome from n- knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the the cybersecurity side effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from Obviously, government itself, and there's been ups and downs, but all the way through the public and private sector, people have, to use the jargon, stepped up. And they've shown uh, local, regional, national level the kind of leadership that Britain historically was very good at. Regrettably, we've not seen seen the same on the international scene for Mm. all kinds of reasons. Uh, but maybe we will in future. So I think out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, uh, the food chain and the like. Uh, But also, I think, in terms of seeing the the synergy between the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think there's a a kind of 
moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it Mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We we may have seen the signals elsewhere uh, across the world and taken them more seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but as someone who's a had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the, the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a, in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the, the UK and... Um, and the U.S., and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries, have a very different interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. Uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the crisis gradually, uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead Mm. or people being told that they you know shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation not incarceration it was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of... um, 
living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, the health secretary often chairs COBRA meetings uh, related to health. Uh, does this tally with your experience as a secretary of state, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows. Those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy, I think they'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm -hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it. Uh, Rightly so. Um, Now, was pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real, on the back of that. It was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in 
Edinburgh, where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we, we saw SARS and other things emerging. I, I think it would people criticised the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You you can you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh- cut, uh, shutdown. Um, these kind of things you, you can look at. But you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, mm-hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a, uh, a world of just-in-time provision one of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world except for the very poor has been the distribution of food a lot of it on computerized uh, technologically advanced systems if that were to come down we'd be in real trouble so i think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well so have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we mm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope and without uh, obviously we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without uh, creating even more anxiety we can think about those things for the future in a more rational way i think now aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy not just national economy but also the world economy um, now, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges. 
and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives, for a variety of reasons, are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the, the immediate handling of the pandemic, concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19, those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated, that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, Remember, a chancellor who only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. I think he's handled it very well, understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002, when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, one thing that's on everyone's lips, um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm -hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect. And what happens with one will then have a major impact on another. And then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected. So I very much, if I were in government, and I always think of things in that context, what would I do if I were in government? I would be on the side from... The second week in May, on the side of the Hawks, in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public, who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently, let's try and get back, perhaps you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to 
business as usual. Unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year and the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr. Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government and the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent uh, professional lawyer who as Director of Public Prosecutions led the service well uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging and um, I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made Shadow Foreign Secretary, because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the uh, the disaffected uh, Labour, former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakira has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a, a great leader of the opposition more importantly, will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. Mm. Uh, It was true of us from 97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did, and the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways uh, supportable opposition, as well as a government that we clearly want to do well, because none of us want, as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty, and we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role, and that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector, people with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them, above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. What's the one king, uh, key thing that Sakira needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's major challenge is to convince sceptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting 
developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, mm-hmm. but also that the lessons have been learned from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed as it did in the 1980s and early 90s to become the electable government with the greatest majority and historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, Do you think Sakir has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, and he has the confidence to have put a team around him which will ensure that it will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, the ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice, sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the Leaders' Council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, uh, the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from Mm -hmm. each other. That is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. Thank you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, thank you for coming on the the program. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.